Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Indians 7, the Chicago White Sox 4. I'm Davey Ferris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And what a game we had yesterday with the first place White Sox coming into town. It kind of felt like uh, the final act of a uh, baseball movie here with the vaunted White Sox coming to town for four games, the Indians trying to claim their postseason spot. And what would the Indians do? They would jump on the White Sox early, putting up four runs in the first two innings. The White Sox would make it interesting, but the Indians eventually would run away with this thing. Their offense unloads seven runs on 10 hits. The White Sox scored their four runs on nine hits. So let's get into the game. Let's see how it all went down. And uh, Aaron Savali on the mound for the Indians. Not Aaron Savali's, Savali's best start, but competitive. Uh, it could have been a lot lot worse uh right away in the first inning the walks the walks are trouble for Aaron Savale and I thought to this point in the season he had been doing pretty good on walks and then uh last night he ended up putting three runners on base via the walk not good not the way you want to start a game especially so he gets Tim Anderson to fly out but then walks Johan Moncada gets Grandal to strike out Walks Jose Abreu. Eloy Jimenez gets an infield single. Jose Ramirez would have had a bare hand in the ball. Couldn't really come up with it. Bases are loaded now for former Cleveland Indian Edwin Encarnacion. But he gets them to ground out to Lindor to end the threat. So, walks two batters in the first inning and is able to tight rope his way out of it. So, uh, yeah, Savali would do that all night. For the Indians, they're facing Dane Dunning, who up until this point had been pitching pretty good for the White Sox. Uh, he was 2-0 and on the season. I think his whip was under one, we said yesterday. Well, Francisco Lindor starts things off with a single to right field. Nice to see Lindor leading off the game with a hit. That's big. Cesar Hernandez then singles behind him up the middle. Lindor goes to second. And then Jose Ramirez gets ahead in the count, and he gets one right down the pipe and absolutely demolishes it out to flow in right field. A big home run for Jose Ramirez and makes it 3-0 Indians. And boy, if that's not the way you would write up your first three batters of a game. Single from your leadoff hitter, single from your second hitter, moves him up into scoring position, and then your third hitter blasts a three-run home run. I, I don't think you can really get any better than that. So, Jose Ramirez, his 16th home run on the season. I didn't see where everybody finished yesterday, but at that point, then moved him into third in home runs in the American League. In the second inning, Savali gets into more trouble, walks the leadoff guy. Again, you're thinking, Savali, you're not going to last doing this. This is going to bite you in the rear end eventually. However, he gets a, uh, a force out for the next out. Does give up a single to Nick Madrigal, so now he's got runners on first and second, and then gets Tim Anderson to hit into a double play. Anderson smoked the ball, absolutely smoked the ball right back at Savale, and they had the highlight package last night. Savale has made now three great defensive plays in three consecutive starts, 
and this one, it's a line drive right back to him that hits his glove, uh, does drop to the ground. He can't squeeze it, but he does knock it down right in front of him. He's able to turn and throw to third and get the out there. And then uh, Tim Anderson froze out of the box because obviously he thought he had just lined out back to the pitcher, so he hesitates. And Jose Ramirez is able to throw across the diamond and get him for the double play, and that gets Savali out of another jam. And that's, I mean, that's big. It's not that Savali has shown incredible... Uh, athleticism on the mound. It's more that he just knows how to get his body into a fielding position. When he follows through on his pitch, that glove hand, that left hand is in the ready position for a ball coming back at him. So he was able to like pick one between his legs the other day. This one is a line drive to his left side that he's able to get his glove on and knock down. It's not about athleticism. It's just about getting that glove hand in the right spot to be able to feel the ball coming back at him. So that's huge there for the Indians. Again, they get out of another jam. The Indians would add another run in the bottom of the second inning. After Perez grounds out, Naylor would double on a line drive to center field. that actually had the hardest exit velocity, I believe, of any ball hit yesterday. Exit velocity of 107.2 miles per hour. So the hardest hit ball yesterday goes to Josh Naylor. Jose Ramirez's home run, just to give you context, was 105.7 miles per hour exit velocity. So Shields then walks behind him. Francisco Lindor flies out, and you're thinking, ah, man, we're going to waste this opportunity here. We're going to waste this double. But then Cesar Hernandez hits a nice line drive into right field. Josh Naylor is chugging around third base. The uh, right fielder for the White Sox, who was in right field yesterday, Mazzara, comes up firing, and he throws a laser. He throws a strike to home plate. It beat Naylor there. But Grandal couldn't come up with a clean it was a ball he had to catch in the air. A lot of times catchers get these nice one hops that they're able to come up with. It slows the ball down a little bit. This one was on the fly, and he just could not come up with it and tag Naylor at the same time. The ball gets away, and Naylor is safe. And to be honest, Naylor is damn lucky because that ball beat him. He was he would have been out by a mile. And uh, for Mazzara, that's just got to feel Uh, It just feels terrible. When you make a perfect throw like that as an outfielder, when you throw a laser to home and the catcher just can't come up with it, I mean, I'm playing old man softball. I've got like 65-year-old men trying to catch my throws from center field. So he's got Yasmani Grandal there, you know, an all-star, probably an all-star catcher at some point in his career. And uh, to have a a fellow major leaguer not come up with that throw has to really, really sting Nomar Mazzara. I feel like Grandal has made a defensive error, or it's not technically an error, but a defensive error in every game we've played the White Sox so far this season. I feel like Grandal has done something where he's given up a pass ball or a wild pitch, let a runner come in from third. I feel like Grandal is going to do something in the playoffs that's going to hurt the White Sox chances, that's going to lose them a game or give up a lead. I think Grandal is a huge defensive liability for the White Sox, and they've got nowhere else to put him. They need his bat. Um, I mean, McCann's a good hitter, too. So uh, we'll see. We'll keep an eye on Grandal and see. He did take a a foul tip off his bare hand yesterday, so we'll see if he's out for the rest of this series or if he comes back in a day or two. 
We'll see what happens there. But the Indians make it 4 nothing, and you felt pretty good about that. Savali actually has a clean third. He would get into more trouble in the fourth inning. He lets the leadoff hitter get to second base. It was a single, then a throwing error by Jose Ramirez. It was one of Jose Ramirez's two errors on the day. But he bounces back from this, gets Encarnacion to strike out, Luis Robert to strike out, and then Nomar Mazzara to line out to Carlos Santana. Great stop by Carlos Santana. Let's see what the exit velocity was on this line drive. 93.7. As a first baseman, 93.7, that's coming pretty fast. That is a hot line drive coming at you at first base. It's not the hot corner. That's third base. But uh, when a lefty's up, it's pretty hot over there. All right, the fifth inning is the key inning for Aaron Savale here. Uh, Or I should say the key inning for the White Sox because Nick Madrigal flies out to start. Tim Anderson singles on a ground ball to the left. Johan Makata pops out. So it's looking okay. He gave up a single. He's getting outs. Yasmani Grandal then smacks one to right center field. It bounces over the wall into those bullpen seats for a ground rule double, and the Indians are lucky there because Anderson would have easily scored. Even though his legs are hurting him a little bit, he would have easily scored, but he has to stop a third because of the ground rule double. And then Jose Abreu comes up. Now, there's two outs. They got runners on... Second and third, they have a base open. However, they decide to pitch to Jose Abreu, and we're going to break down this at-bat in a second here. But on a 3-1 pitch, he lines one up the middle. Two runs come in to score. Savali, eh, you understand. Jose Abreu is one of the best hitters in baseball. He leads the at least the American League in RBIs. He's second in, o- in OPS and all these other things and weighted run created. So, yeah, you get... You get it. All right. Jose Abreu beats you. Fine. He would actually strike out three times on the day. This would be, I believe, Jose Abreu's only hit on the day. Yes. He would also walk. So, yeah. So, you get it. I, how You would have loved to have seen him maybe just put him on once it was 3-1 with that base open. But he gets the hit. And it wouldn't have mattered because Eloy Jimenez, two pitches later, uncorks a massive home run to center field. Uh, Delano Shields takes a nasty slam into the wall there, but he was okay. And Aloy Jimenez uncorks a home run. If you've ever seen Aloy Jimenez's swing, I don't know if this is something he's always done. I was paying attention to this at bat. He's very compact. He's got the bat up high. He's got his body kind of squeezed down, and he uncorks himself. Uh, just uncoils like a spring exploding, and destroyed this pitch. He hit his at 103.6 miles per hour for the home run. And it is suddenly 4-4, and all that good work, all that fighting by Savali up until this point, it's now a 4-4 game. The Indians had his back. Man, we have been waiting for this all season, it feels like. When we score early, that's it. That's all we got in the tank. And if they come back on our pitchers, That's the game we lose. And uh, we've been waiting all year for the Indians to have a bounce-back inning where they say, okay, you put up a four on us, you tie the game, we're going to go take that lead right back. So they bring in Jace Fry, and Jace Fry was having a lot of trouble throwing strikes. Jace Fry for them threw 23 pitches, only 13 were for strikes. Uh, which includes the balls that were swung at. So Cesar Hernandez, for some reason, even though he works a full count, goes chasing a ball in the dirt to strike out. 
Jose Ramirez ain't a fool. He doesn't chase anything. He takes a walk. Carlos Santana then comes up, and on a 2-1 count, he crushes one to left center field. It's a big home run for Carlos Santana, and boy, did he need that because his OPS, his app, his uh, average, his batting average was just plummeting. He's, he uh, Is he still over 200 at the end of the day? No, he finishes the day at 194. He was one for three with a walk, and he needed this home run. It was a sixth home run on the season. He got a meaty ball in the middle of the plate, and he destroyed it out to left field, left center field for a home run, and no doubt about a homer. Jose Ramirez scores with him, and now the Indians are up 6-4, to four, and we have answered right back. So it's huge for the Indians. Uh, for some reason, the next two hitters struck out, even though Chase Fry was still missing the strike zone. They went chasing. So the Indians put the lead back on the board. So what happens in the top of the sixth? Aaron Savali comes back out the pitch. There was no way that I thought Aaron Savali was going to come back out for the sixth inning after what happened in the fifth. But Alomar leaves him in. He was hoping to get one more inning out of him. It works, but it was scary. Luis Wilbert flies out to right field to start the inning. Nomar Mazzara singles on a ground ball to right. At that point, I'm thinking, okay, he put someone on base. Please get him out of the game. Nick Madrigal then hits a big fly ball to right field. Tyler Naquin was playing in because they never expected Madrigal to go that way. And Naquin has to make an amazing running catch approaching the warning track to snag this ball over his head and pull it down for an out. Mazzara has to scramble all the way back to first. It should have been probably a one-run double if Naquin doesn't make a great running catch on the ball. And then somehow he gets Tim Anderson to strike out. So I thought Savali could have come out after any of these at-bats. They should have gone and got him. But instead, Alomar sticks with guys. He lets them finish innings, and he let him face Anderson, and he's able to strike him out. They eventually do take him out in the seventh, and it's Nick Wickren who comes in for the Indians, and now at least Alomar has it set up the way he wants it. I think he showed his hand yesterday when we get into these playoff series, it is going to be Nick Wickren in the seventh. It is going to be James Karinchek in the eighth. And it's going to be Brad Hand in the ninth. That is how your bullpen lines up. And he got it yesterday. He got six innings out of his starter, amazingly. And he gets into his bullpen here. What does Nick Wickren do? Wickren won MVP for the day yesterday because he was so good out of the bullpen. Oh, he just strikes out Johan Moncada, strikes out Yasmani Grandal, and strikes out a Jose Breu swinging. All were string, swinging strikes, and he goes one, two, three in the seventh. That's huge from Nick Wickren. Not only was he doing that, um, not only did he strike out the side, he was doing that against the heart of their order. He was doing that against their best three hitters, their top of their order. Uh, you know, after Tim Anderson, I think it's two, three, four in their lineup. So, yeah. Uh, Nick Wickren showed his stuff yesterday. Man, that dude can pitch when he wants to turn it on. All right. Moving into the bottom of the seventh, the Indians would get a little bit of insurance. Francisco Lindor would single to start the inning. He would then be caught stealing. Uh, he really wanted to go to second on the on the ball. He hit to left field, but he held it first. So instead, he tries to take the base stealing, and Grandal throws him out. Uh, it, it hurts because Cesar Hernandez then walks and Jose Ramirez doubles down the line in right field. 
Uh, there was no, no question Francisco Lindor would have scored on that double, but instead he ran himself out of this inning. Luckily, the Indians would pick him up. Cesar Hernandez does have to hold a third because they got the ball in quick. Mazzaro's got a great arm out in right field. You're not going to test it. So then they decide to intentionally walk Carlos Santana to bring up Fermil Reyes. Santana had had a home run earlier in the game. Even though he's hitting 190-something, they decide not to pitch to him, and they bring up Fermil Reyes, who has been scuffling, right? We all know Fermil Reyes is much easier to strike out than Carlos Santana. But what does Fermil Reyes do? Down in the count, I think it's a 2-2 count, he gets a ball that's up, and he crushes it out to right field, right center field. Luis Robert is able to track it down out there at the wall. Unfortunately, Ramirez just missed getting all of it, but it's enough to bring Cesar Hernandez in to score from third, and it makes it a 7-4 game. Tyler Naquin has a tough at bat, but he eventually lines out to left fielder Eloy Jimenez, who makes a nice sliding catch, traps the ball kind of in the heel of his glove against his body. It was a good approach from Tyler Naquin, watching him go the other way. You thought he might have blooped it in. It's exactly what we want to see from Naquin. The other night... He had an outside pitch that he didn't. He swung through. He was trying to pull. Last night, he goes the other way with it. Unfortunately, Eloy Jimenez is there, and the inning ends 7-4 to four Cleveland. All right, Karinchek comes in. Nasty James Karinchek gets Eloy Jimenez to ground out, gets Encarnacion to strike out swinging, and gets Namar Mazzara to strike out swinging on a nasty curveball. So, Karinchek does his job in the eighth, and when the pressure, the higher the pressure is, it feels like the better Karinchek pitches. And then in the ninth inning, it's Brad Hand. He gets into a little bit of a mess here. Nick Madrigal singles to start the inning. Tim Anderson flies out deep to center field. Delino to Shields had time on this ball. The other balls that he went back on, he was, he was they were line drives. He was he was racing back on this one. He could drift back on, gets all the way to the wall, makes a leaping catch, and catches this ball right on the yellow line at the top of the wall. It's huge from Delino to Shields. Some big defense there because Tim Anderson thought he got it. He thought he got all of that one. Johan Moncada would then hit a ground ball to Jose Ramirez that would hop over his glove. Ramirez would deflect it into left field. It moves the runner up. They now have runners on first and second. And Brad Hand is, you know, dancing with the devil again. He is in trouble again. A classic Brad Hand inning. He always seems to work his way out of this. What does he do? He gets McCann looking on a looping, looping breaking ball that hits the top outside corner of the strike zone, at least as far as home plate umpire Dan Bellino is concerned. The only reason I know that is because he ejected Rick Renteria, and it's in the game notes here. Uh, So Bellino rings up James McCann, and then uh, it it was an interesting pitch to McCann because uh, Perez was actually calling for it down and in. He was signaling like, hey, bury it at McCann's feet. Instead, Brad Hand leaves it way up to the outside of the strike zone and still gets the called strike. Then Jose Abreu up, and Jose Abreu's patience actually gets the better of him because he looks at strike three, another slider, another breaking ball, this time in the bottom outside corner of the zone, and Brad Hand gets out of it again. So the Indians go on to win 7-4. to four. Looking at the box score, we got multi-hit games from Lindor, Hernandez, Jose Ramirez. We got a three-hit game from Josh Naylor, if you believe it, towards the bottom of the lineup there. And uh, I got to give MVP for the day 
Well, let's look at the pitching first. Savali actually gets the win, moves to four and five, six innings, eight hits, four earned runs, three walks, six strikeouts, and the one home run. Probably not the way Savali drew it up. Probably not the way he imagined it when he was laying in bed that morning. But he gets the win because the bullpen was outstanding. Whitgren with the three strikeouts, Karinchek with the two strikeouts, and Brad Hand gets the save with two more strikeouts in the ninth inning. All right, though, MVP for a day. I got to give it up. Even though he's only hitting 194, even though he was only one for three, I got to give it to Carlos Santana because that home run, that bounce back home run in the bottom of the fifth inning was the game. To be able to respond to what the White Sox did in the top of the fifth, putting four runs across on three pitches, it felt like. It might have been three pitches it took for them to score four runs. To have Santana answer back and hit that big home run after Jose Ramirez walks, Carlos Santana is your MVP for the day. All right. Now, the thing I want to break down, the thing I want to talk about are the two what I consider the most key at-bats of this game. And they're perfect because these two hitters really remind me of, you know, each other. You know, and it's for it's Jose Abreu's at-bat against Aaron Savali in the fifth inning. And then it's Fermil Reyes' at-bat against Jimmy Cordero out of the White Sox bullpen in, I believe, the seventh inning. Fermil Reyes definitely has a problem with chasing. He will chase breaking balls. He will chase pitches away. He will chase pitches down and away. And it's just something that Jose Abreu is not going to do. You can't strike Jose Abreu out with some high heat. I, I did see him go down to a strikeout to Zavali earlier with some high heat. But he is just not going to give in to balls in the dirt and to breaking balls. He is such a disciplined hitter. It's amazing. And it reminds me of guys like Albert Bell and Manny Ramirez and even Travis Hafner for like a season and a half where when these guys came up with runners on, you just you felt no fear as an Indians fan. You had all the confidence in the world that they were going to get it done. And most of the time they did. They were that intimidating up at the plate. And that's what Jose Abreu is. So. Aaron Savali gets lucky. He paints the outside edge with pit, with his first pitch. Remember, the situation here is two outs, runners on second and third. The Indians are still up 4 nothing here in the fifth inning, and they have a base open. So he throws a cutter to him down and away. He's able to paint the edge and get strike one. Then he goes to his curveball, drops a low curveball in the dirt, Abreu doesn't chase. Okay, fine. He's dancing with him. He's staying away from him. He tries going back to the cutter on the outside edge, throws it a little bit more outside, thinking maybe he can get Jose Abreu to chase it. Nope. Jose Abreu stares at it. It's ball two. Then he goes back to the curveball. He's still just staying down and away, down and away from Jose Abreu. He is not going to give him something right in the middle of the plate. That'd be ridiculous. So he throws him another curveball down and away. He stares at that one. And you're looking at Jose Abreu's face, and there's no fear. He he knows exactly what he's doing. He's not going to give in to any of those pitches. He knows the base is open. If he walks, he has faith in the batter behind him. It's fine. The next pitch on three and one, instead of throwing another cutter, he comes back with a sinker, and I'm telling you, this thing is right down the middle. And Jose Abreu has quick hands, and just laces it up the middle. 103.4 mile per hour exit velocity, just laces it up the middle for that two-run single. And that is what an intimidating hitter like Jose Abreu can do. I 
don't know why Aaron Savali, why Perez decided to go back inside with a sinker when everything else had been away. Maybe with the two-seam fastball that Savali throws, you could have thrown it in on his hands and maybe tried to get him to swing and miss at something in there. And if you miss inside, fine, you miss inside. But at a 3-1 count, why not just put him on? Why would you mess with the best hitter in the American League right now? So it goes for a two-run single. All right, now let's compare this to the at-bat that Fermil Reyes has in the seventh inning against Jimmy Cordero. Remember, the situation here is that there's one out and bases are loaded. So all the pressure should be on Cordero. Instead, it feels like all the pressure is on Fermil Reyes because they just intentionally walked Carlos Santana in front of them. They wanted Fermil Reyes up. Cordero wanted to attack. So how does he start him out? He starts him out with a sinker that a 98-mile-per-hour sinker. Can you call a 98-mile-per-hour pitch a sinker? I guess you can. He throws it at his knees, gets the bottom edge of the strike zone, strike one. Vermeil Reyes clearly had the same approach. I'm going to be like Jose Ramirez. I'm going to be patient. But as soon as he starts out down in the count, he loses all that patience. The next pitch is another sinker, this time at 99 miles per hour, but this one's in the dirt. Vermeil Reyes flinches at this one. He absolutely flinched, but does not swing at the ball in the dirt. It was too low. If that ball is just around his shins, he may have swung at it. The next pitch, they decide to go slider away, and it was a pitch that was up. It was around the belt, and Jose and Fermil Reyes goes chasing. He swings. It was way off. It ended up breaking way outside the strike zone, and Fermil Reyes chases it for a swinging strike. He's now down in the count one and two. The next pitch, he gets lucky. The next pitch is another sinker fastball, 98.9 miles per hour, again in the dirt. So he can lay off that, right? It was too way too bad of a pitch. He's lucky on that one. The next one, they try to go slider again. This time, they throw it up. They throw it up at his, the letters, and he is able to drive this one out to center field for the sack fly. So, man, if that sinker, if those two sinkers aren't in the dirt, I mean in the dirt, and actually, I think on that fourth pitch, Brandal made a really great pick to catch that ball, and uh, otherwise, those runners definitely would have been advancing. But, yeah, that's the difference here. Fermil Reyes was chasing. He was behind in the count. He had to hang in there. Luckily, that slider was right down the middle of the plate, and he's able to stay on it. And we've seen him swing through sliders like that before. Uh, He's able to stay on it and drive it out in the outfield for the sack fly. But that's the difference right now between Abreu and Fermil Reyes. Fermil Reyes definitely needs to go watch some Jose Abreu tape because I think they're very similar hitters, and I think they can both. I think Fermil Reyes can get to that point where he is as intimidating, as scary as Jose Abreu is up to the plate, where the relief pitcher is the one that's going to be feeling nervous instead of Fermil Reyes feeling like he's got to stay alive and he's behind in the count and he's got to just get something out into the outfield for a sack fly. So we, I'm really excited to see the growth of Fermil Reyes. He's had a really good season. He had some really hot stretches. I know he's slumping a little bit right now. But he had some really hot stretches, and he's going to get a playoff run here. The Indians' magic number is down to one. Speaking of that, let's look at the standings really quick. The Minnesota Twins were off yesterday, so it's an interesting situation where the Cleveland Indians move up on the Minnesota Twins, 
We're two and a half back on the Minnesota Twins, but the Twins also move up. They're now a game and a half back on the White Sox. So like we said, this series right here, this four-game set, man, the AL Central can get really messy really fast. Anything can still happen here. Nobody has clinched the division. The Indians are now four games back of the White Sox, so technically they could still climb up and win this division. So any of these three teams could, uh, could take that spot any of these three teams can end up facing each other in the first round if they're the seventh seed and the second seed. So, uh, yeah, I, I, the way the Indians have played the White Sox so far this season, I w- even though they're like the best hitting team in baseball right now and Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu are both be leading candidates in the MVP race with Jose Ramirez, I know Jose Ramirez continued to tear the cover off the ball yesterday. Uh, I would rather face the White Sox right now than the Minnesota Twins. It feels like the Twins have our number and we have the White Sox number. So we'll see. We will see how it all goes down because we will continue this four-game set tomorrow. Now, they decided to move Shane Bieber back a day. So Shane Bieber is going to start on Wednesday. Quintrall is actually going to get the start on Tuesday for the Indians. So he is going to face Lopez from the White Sox, and then Bieber is going to face Giolito on Wednesday night. That's must-watch TV. And then you'll have Plesak against Keiko on Thursday. So there are some good, good pitching matchups later this week. But Quintrall's going to go for the Indians. Obviously, he'll just go as long as he can. It's going to be a bullpen day for the Indians. I don't know. I'd rather see the bullpen day happen the Sunday to end the season against Pittsburgh, but this lines Bieber up so he has the proper rest going into game one of the wild card series. Fine. Fine. Hopefully the bullpen, you know, we don't tax the bullpen too bad. We got Quintrill out there who can go a couple innings. We got Plucko out there who can go a couple innings. Hopefully those guys can eat four or five innings for us, and then the rest of the bullpen can pick up the slack. So, It's going to be a tough one tomorrow night, but we will see what the Indians' bullpen can do. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Cleveland. It was the Indians 7, the White Sox 4. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can now email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Morning.